there's anything you think of that you wish was cut out, just let me know. No questions asked. I will cut it out. Well, what are we going to be talking about? I don't know. <laughs> hey, look. It's just it's so wow. Already it's like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> don't let us cross the line. Jen. Please don't Patrick, ask you me those questions. Like, what? <laughs> I said you can't make that joke. It's been true too many times. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm a, I'm here for it. Now I'm like, what's going to happen? Awesome. I was just going to ask if either one of you have any questions. All no. right, we'll leave it to us for you to ask the questions. <laughs> Thoughts, concerns, funny noises, parts. Mm. Falls under the category of funny noises. I know, just a man child that likes to <laughs> fart. This is going great. It's going so good. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dead Head Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello, everyone. Today we are joined by Rebecca Roland. Roland, did I say that right? I feel like I didn't say that right. Roland, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hi. <laughs> and we have Jen Lee. Say hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. <laughs> so, normally we ask what got you in the horror, but we would like to know for the two of you um, what got you in the industry, and, and we'll start with you, Rebecca. Oh, um, in the industry in general. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would say, at least for what I'm doing now, I was, I mean, I was originally hired to be a ghostwriter. Um, and what I like to call a fluffer, even though people have told me that it's extremely inappropriate to use that term, <laughs> but essentially, that's what I was doing. Um, I was given manuscripts or pitches or, or what have you, and then just told to kind of make it better, um, you know, make things pop fix the language, um, rewrite passages, blah, blah, blah. And I did that for a really long time. And um, I ghost wrote a memoir and did the whole book. You know, I had taken a leave of absence from a grad program I was in to do it because it, it really it needed to be done right away. And then it fell through. Like it was actually at the very last stage where the person had to agree on a cover and she just she had some sort of disagreement with the press and just decided to back out and at that point i thought you know what I, i'm tired of doing all of this work um and you know not having my name on something so i i decided to just go for it wow um before we move on brenner candace i feel like one of you might have something interesting to ask about this oh. No, I, no, I mean, I would just throw in that uh, I, I did not know that you were a ghostwriter, but that's such an interesting kind of, um, I guess, launching point to uh, writing an anthologist career. And, and I'm curious, you know, with you wearing so many different hats, do you have one that feels more comfortable than the others at this point? I well, I can tell you that I don't like to do both. At, at the same time, in fact, someone was just posting about this on, on mm. social media about whether anthologists should, in, should include their own work. And I, I have to admit, like my very first anthology, I, I put one of my stories in there and it was uncomfortable. It was, I didn't like, cause you can't, 
you can't sort of see what's you you don't really have the eye for your own story and um if i could do it over again i would not have put my story in there i i feel comfortable wearing both hats but not at the same time Hmm. and um i don't like working on my own project and an outside project at the same time, because I find that I get very, especially with an anthology, very hyper-focused on just that, um, just sort of everything from the editing to the promotion to um, it just becomes my whole central focus. And so I, I neglect my own writing and that's okay. That's okay. Cause I really do like editing, but now I'm sort of shifting into the writing and um if it's it's definitely a different feel. I mean, uh, Candace can speak to it as well. I mean, she does the same thing. And um, do I like one more than the other? No, no. <laughs> you know, it just sort of depends on what the project is. Yeah. One hat at a time makes an absolute, you know, sort of logical sense. So, I mean, that's 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 really your best answer there. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to come back to the focusing on an anthology thing at some point, but I, I want to throw it to Jen real quick with the same, you know, how did you get into the industry question? Um, well, oof. I moved to New York when I was a kid, which was a long time ago. And I was a New York actress um, doing Broadway stuff and not Broadway stuff until I hit my thirties. And then I had kids and then I got uh, divorced and <laughs> got a job in TV and was a casting director for 13 years. Um, and that's, I kind of landed into some documentary work uh, through friends who knew I was an actress and wanted me to do scratch work before they hired the celebrities. This sounds so gross when I say it, but it's true. <laughs> they were doing, they wanted me to do scratch work for celebrities to then fill in and then they just ended up using my scratch work. So that happened like a lot of times. I don't know what scratch work is. I don't know. That means I'm, that means like, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get Meryl Streep to do this, but can you just do the VO for us so that we can get the editing down and we don't have to, you know, worry about wasting her time (laughs) while we get all our, are we allowed to swear? Yeah. Shit in a row. Yay. Anyway. (laughs) So I did some documentary work and realized that I really loved doing voiceover work and I really didn't love doing TV as much as I love TV. I was doing unscripted uh, documentary series TV, which is ridiculous, a ridiculous thing to be involved in and make and cast and try and sell. So I was doing all those things and I kind of couldn't do that anymore mentally. So I decided to get trained for more VO stuff and quickly kind of wanted to do felt like I wanted to do audiobooks and then tried it and was like uh no this is nuts this is the nuttiest thing that anyone would ever do it's the least well-paid VO for the most excruciating amount of work and then I made it my focus because people are dumb and I just love it I I (laughs) I'm obsessed with it. I wake up and I'm like, woohoo, I'm so excited. And you will find that most narrators, if they have decided to do such a silly thing as become a narrator, are obsessive nerds about it. To be, oh. to be fair, I do hear that advice in writing too, that you got to be not like, it's a thing where if you're not, if you're, your heart's not into it, 
is what I'm hearing you say, then don't oh, do it. Oh my God. Oh my God. The time it takes to make an audiobook is prohibitive. Even if you're doing it in studio with a team, still mm-hmm. prohibitive. It, and, and most of the time, most narrators now are not. We're doing it in our home studios. So we're running tech ourselves. We're self-directing. We're doing all the file naming. And we're doing the punch and roll, which is how a lot of us record so that we're a little bit cleaning up our mistakes as we go. That's um, interesting. I, I, you don't have to answer this question, but I do want to say my thought out loud is that makes me wonder if you if voiceover uh, actors or actresses are, are paid for all the extra work, because that's a lot of time. Well, so. If an indie author says to me, yeah, I want you to produce my audiobook and it's not through a publisher and there's, that happens often. Hmm. Um, you say, okay, well, uh, for instance, uh, I, I need $275 per finished hour. And they go, uh, <laughs> what? That is a ridiculous amount of money. But for me, that money is cut by four or five times hmm. b- because of all the things that I need to do. So it's very hard to explain that to people sometimes. They really don't understand why it's hard to be in a booth and record words. That's a, that's that's also interesting because a lot of times that my experience has been that people that aren't in the industry of entertainment, any entertainment, they don't really know. Obviously, they don't know what it takes. So they just think, oh, it's fun. It's It looks good. If you're really good at your art, and you bust your hump on it. Um, oh, good plug. American Cannibal. Like, I don't know how much time you put into that, but I'm sure that people that aren't in this industry don't understand why it costs so much money. Um, it's really weird too, because it's like one of the only forms that we're kind of thought of as like not needing to be as paid as as much, but without all this art, like what are you going to do with most of your time? You know, it's just, it's a weird thing. And I'm really glad that you're talking about this, Jen. Um, Yeah. That's why, you know, we're all raising our flag about AI, which affects Mm -hmm. everyone and is Mm -hmm. so fucking ridiculous and important to writers, artists, narrators. They're going to take our art and they're going to take our jobs. And it's, I feel like it's just, it makes me want to, oh my God, makes me want to cry. They're going to, it's going to take over and books and pieces of art and human voices are going to go away. And it's just sickening. So if anyone is inclined to beat that drum, please beat it loudly with us. Cause we are, uh, we are in, in theory, getting to a point of extinction, which is sad. Is an interesting time. Sure. I will never understand why, you know, we have harnessed robots to do the fun jobs instead of like, can't we teach them to clean floors? Right, exactly. What are we talking about a Roomba? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. There's so many, (laughs) so many things they can be useful for. Why is making art become, you know. Yeah. Because people don't understand that making art is work. It can be work and it is hard. People think, oh, you're an artist. It's easy. It's not easy. It's hard. You put your heart and soul into it. You know, and when we're narrating books, like Rebecca's book, I'm suffering over each sentence. 
that I want to make sure, am I understanding what Rebecca wanted with this? Mm. Am I understanding where the character's going? Am I understanding what's coming? Am I understanding the big picture of what Rebecca wanted in this particular story? And it's always different. And that's why doing an anthology was, wow, mind-blowing. So different from doing a whole book. And great, great, amazing. So, so, so fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I'll 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 share. I I got um the audiobook back for my first collection recently and there's a story in there that, you know, I I wrote it. I edited it 100 times. I read it 100 more times, you know, as we were getting ready to put it out and when I got to hear what the narrator had done with it, you know, 2 years after I wrote it, like it brought tears to my eyes because they just got it and that's something that's not recreatable by a machine it it can't be done uh to just put that heart and soul and those blood sweat and tears behind those words and just like the 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 innate human understanding of here's what this story means and here's how you know i can tailor my performance to beat the listener over the head with that and make them understand it's just it's yeah no you guys do a freaking service (laughs) and who was that amazing narrator marnie carger Marnie um, Carger. Yay, um, Marnie. Yeah, no, she killed it. She did a great, great job on that. Yeah. You guys want to dive into the book now then? Please. Sure. So oh, stupid blurred background. Um okay, oh. I give up. Uh <laughs> if I take the blur off, you're gonna see the mess my kid left behind, so I won't do that. But what I was Yeah, no, up, the kid, definitely the kid. <laughs> what I was holding up was uh Rebecca's copy of White Trash and Recycled Nightmares. That is her uh, latest book it's a lovely collection and there are some not unusual for your work um but there's just some really uh hard hits to the heart there with with this because how you i'm i'm from the same area as rebecca so it's really uh, it's fun for me when i hear a writer like stephen king does it with some things like he mentioned taunton in one of his short stories and that's where my mom's from i'm like that's cool shit but you do that a lot in your work and it feels like i'm not in massachusetts and haven't been for almost eight years and and it it's something like that that brings me back to home and that's why even in the darkness of all the stories i'm like hmm, i understand this but i don't like part of it but uh <laughs> yeah i'm rambling um can you tell us what the collection is uh, about in a nutshell if that's possible oh gosh um someone asked me about that the other day and I'm like what is the blurb on the back and I I I wish that I could say that there's one like unifying defined theme and there really isn't except what is always in my work and that's 90% of it is just human beings and and situations that appear very normal and aren't um and if you sort of you sort of peel back the first layer you realize there's something that is rotten and and then the more layers you peel back, you realize it is something pretty monstrous going on. And I, I think that that's, that is just in general what my work is. It's all about how things appear one way and that they're really quite frightening underneath. I'll just say this with the first one layover. Without spoiling it, you really got me to where the direction was going and that's something that i really like with your stories um brennan you. you absolutely 
Brennan or no, actually it's Candace. Candace, you had a really good question. I believe it was for Jen about her stories. Am I mixing that up or was it Brennan? Just throw it to Candace, please. Candace, go ahead. <laughs> Candace is like, um, okay. Um, sure. No, um, <laughs> actually, I can remember how I wanted to word it now. <laughs> um, we were talking about the incredible range of stories in the book. And we wanted to know if there was a particular story that resonated more so with you than any of the other ones as you were reading them. And if so, which one and why? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it was like narrating what 20 different books, which is just dreamy for a narrator. And <laughs> I, I was thinking about this in the shower, which is a little coming back to what you said, which is that I could tell in the first in the first paragraph, right? Not what the story was going to be, of course not, far oh from it. But I could tell what the flavor, what that particular flavor of that story and probably that character was. It's so clear. Your your writing, Rebecca, is so clear that I didn't have to go like, sometimes with books you have to like go searching like, what? I don't understand why this character is doing this. It does not make any sense to me. No, you get it immediately. Mm. So not unlike that, I would get to a, uh, I would get to a, a story and be like, this is definitely my favorite one and then I'd be like okay and here comes this one and then I would end up doing that one that I was a little bit less like gung-ho about and I'd be like no that was my favorite one that was my favorite one and that <laughs> happened so many times I kept thinking oh this is my favorite one and then I'd be like oh no but that one's my favorite one so <laughs> It was impossible because they're so different. It's like choosing between your children, right? But for me, I'm a horror I'm a horror person and definitely a horror narrator. And for me, I prefer the kind of narrate uh, horror books where you are uncovering the um, everyday life, the the pedanticness of everyday life and everyday experiences going to work and having kids and da, 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 and you're finding out where is the mystical underneath that where's the horror beneath that why why and what's scary and what's moving about it being scary i find horror very moving so um i'm not answering your question um i loved oh i love mountain of the dead cuz i'm like a forest horror person i just want to see a movie where people are out in the woods and bad things are happening yeah. <laughs> um and i loved fear no drowning because i like horror that means that i mean i don't want to say horror doesn't mean anything to each one but i i prefer a, a psychological kind of um life i don't know how to explain it i think you know what i mean i prefer that kind of psychological horror it's your flavor it's my flavor it's my flavor i mean i love the cave so much <laughs> oh my gosh i just it's impossible i mean i am i'm looking at the list now and i'm like yeah that one no that one that one, that one. <laughs> i don't know i went I through that. it too and i'm yeah that's an unfair question no i'm just joking <laughs> that was a good well, question i'm kidding it's really hard i'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, it's always no, a it, it is a good. Oh, trip trap! What about trip trap? 
Oh, trip yep. trap. It's like the best good old fashioned, like, yes, this is exactly the horror b- story book thing. I want. I like that title too. Oh, this trip trap was fun because there's so many fun things in it that happen and people that talk. It's fun. I'm going to have to bottle this. And every time that I have like imposter syndrome, <laughs> I can just like, play it back. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me again, Jen. Tell me. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying those things. Jen, we what's, were... your favorite, what's your favorite thing about Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> my, fa- my favorite thing about Rebecca this, is that she actually wants to spend time with me in real life. Yes. Mm-hmm. You want to know something yeah. funny? Yes. The first time we met, we met, we walked around New York City and we had a good time and then we went to my daughter's burlesque show <laughs> oh that's fun <laughs> yeah the best thing to do did so, you know did you so did you go in and be like hey by the way that's my daughter did you oh, oh no oh, no, no I, I absolutely beforehand okay. was like i would love to get together with you on that day but my daughter has her first burlesque show yeah and i was like bring it Let's bring the it. ass bring the tits and ass it was great it's awesome <laughs> was yeah. that what I, probably not, but was that the day that your cover was in? Uh, no, only one of the biggest centers of I know. America. <laughs> I I was so pissed off when I I was not uh, informed or aware that that was happening. I was like, "What the? Why didn't you tell me that was happening?" That was a surprise to me, and and to, it was a birthday <laughs> present. I had no idea it was going to happen until it happened. So, so yeah, yeah, that was very exciting. Times Square. Billboard. Unbelievable. And it looked so good. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really just like one of the neatest things that could happen to any author. Yeah. Um, Oh, birthday present. It it really was. It really was. Yep. Yeah. I literally sent it to my family, my friends. I'm like, look what's happening right now. How'd you yeah. feel in that moment when you saw it? Did you kind of, was it like an out of, out of the body experience? It was really odd. Um, and so, so I had gone to New York city with, um, with my writing partner and he, and he, you know, he, we went to see gray house. Um, that was part of my, my birthday present. And then he said, Oh, let's go to, let's go to times square. And I hate times square. I absolutely loathe it. I don't, I don't like the crowds. I don't like the commercialism. And so I said to him, like, no way. Well, there's like, well, let's go here. And he's like, no, no, no. We need to go to Times Square. I'm like, what? why are we going to Times? He's like, listen, we need to go to Times Square now. Can we just go now? I said, all right. So we're walking and we're standing. And I could tell that there was going to be something going on because he stopped right there in sort of the the central area where the the, the billboard is. And and he's like, take take a look up there. <laughs> and sure, when it hit, I was just, it's to this day, it, it's one of the nicest things I think that anyone's ever done for me. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, Thank God awesome. the cover was so amazing, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, both of them. So he, he put up both Cannibal and, and White Trash. And, and I real I got two of the best cover artists, I think, in the, in the business for those two. So I, I just, this has been, I've hit the lottery this year between uh, the audiobook narrators, the cover artists, um, the writers in, in Cannibal. I, I just, I've really been extremely, extremely fortunate and blessed. And I'm, I am fully aware of that. Yeah. That's the, to me, that's the greatest quality in a human, like being thankful, humility, being humble. You're all those things. You're 
really sweet person to talk to. And by the way, like this relates to you in a second, but uh, when I was growing up, my dad taught me a few things that I take to this day. And one of the lessons was always right. And I should point out, this is before like the internet blew up to what it is today. And before we had cell phones. So um, it definitely applies even more so today, but he said, always write someone a letter to say you're thank- thankful if you, you know, especially if you mean it. <laughs> um, and you did that with us. And that always stuck with me. I'm like, you would think more writers would do that. I'm not asking for that, but to me that that was just like holy crap she actually cares not to say other people don't but like it just i don't know it, it kind of sits really special with with you so um sorry to put you on the spot but i just <laughs> want to say that i found it to be very sweet um can we talk about american cannibal for a moment and then jump back to white for Trap? sure absolutely i just wanted to say how it was one of my favorite anthologies like you and candace both have created anthologies that will forever stick with me and uh for those that aren't familiar with american cannibal we had them on uh, a few months ago and it was just so much fun uh jeff strand is so freaking funny (laughs) he's just so funny (laughs) and his story in y2k was absolutely hilarious but um my question for that is Going into it with American Cannibal, yeah. um, were your expectations absolutely crushed afterwards? Uh, crushed in a good way? Oh, yeah. I, I should <laughs> specify that. Crushed in a good way, meaning like, were you expecting it to be this much fun? And then it turns out that you just, every expectation you had just was. Uh, they exceeded it, for sure. It. Yeah, I mean, I. Words are hard. So- Right. So I went to I went to each one of these authors, Candace being one of them. Mm-hmm. I specifically chose these authors because I wanted a very wide variety of of approaches and and subgenres and expertise. And so I when I was narrowing down the list, you know, I wanted splatter writers. I wanted feminist horror writers. I wanted psychological horror people. I wanted quiet horror people. I wanted um, people who are going to write more sort of um uh, like a quieter um more of a sort of a whisper and then i wanted some that were going to scream and i but i didn't specify that you know and i said as candace will say i just i walked up to her at, at author con i said i'm doing this are you interested and she's like yeah sure and then she sent me this story and it was like amazing yeah. amazing right <laughs> so all of these writers, and I did when I and I invited them. I'm like, ah, oh, first of all, you, when you invite people, you also have to think like, are they really going to show up with a story? Um, they all did, and none of them phoned it in. Like, none of them sort of gave me sort of like, oh, I'm just gonna you know throw this on a piece of paper and and here take it. They ex- exceeded, far exceeded my expectations to the point where. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop as each one of these stories came in because I I thought, well, at some point I'm going to get one that's just, you know, that, that that's going to be terrible and that just never happened. And, and secondly, I didn't get not a whiff of like ego, divaness, um, all of these authors were incredibly nice to work with. And they promoted the collection, which they don't have to do. I think that I think that presses and editors 
don't realize that, you know, once you're, you have someone in an anthology, it's, you're paying for the story. That's it. Um, they're not making royalties off of this unless it's a royalty split kind of deal. It's a one and done. Like they have their other things to do. And so when these authors kind of stuck with it and promoted it and offered reviewers and, and continued to this day, I will still, you know, talk to some of them and they'll say like, hey, you know, so-and-so was asking about American Cannibal and I mentioned this on a podcast and, and they don't have to, they all have their own shit to do. They don't have to, you know, talk about Cannibal ever again. And I just, that's why I say I truly, truly am very fortunate to have that um, ensemble, um, to have Lynn Hansen do that artwork, um, to have uh, Mark Johannes do the, the audio book, um, everything about it. There's just, I can't, I, I just can't be thankful enough. So thanks for asking about it. I always, I always like talking about American Cannibal. Oh, absolutely. That uh, American Cannibal and then Candace's uh, uh, Baker's Dozen. I just absolutely yeah. love those two books are so freaking good. And um, yeah. not that, correct me if I'm wrong, not that American Cannibal is like, it's not just one genre. You said it's a bunch right. of, different um it definitely shows a great range of what horror is and I, I bring that up because and we've talked about this before but like um some people say i don't like horror. my, my wife says i don't like horror that much she's not a huge fan of it and and i'm like well you kind of do i mean we both love true crime and that's that's in the umbrella of horror so i'm pointing that out because it just really does tackle everything you mentioned and they all do it so nicely too like they're all great stories and same for candace's baker's dozen where that's candace that's specific in the splatterpunk scene right extreme no? splatterpunk i guess it's a mix of both but it's still it's still not like over the top for the sake mm -hmm. of it. it it's it's compelling it's in depth uh with the characterization and it's just good narration um yeah i liked um the carrot cake one was that Harrison's story? The carrot cake with the woman making the carrot cake? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, what was it called? Um, what was it called? The carrot cake one? Yeah. Yeah. I'm blanking on it too. I, I'd have to look it up. I don't know on the top of my head. There are too I many stories that we can zoom in. I can <laughs> grab it. Okay, while you do that, I will. Oh, um... So I'm. I actually have a story in Candace's next anthology that drops at the end of the month. Um, her I dark really like disasters. That. Yeah. Oh, you. You know what am I saying? You both know because <laughs> <laughs> Brennan's in it, and you did the forward. So really, I'm just really letting you it. know. Um, yeah, that was super fun. That was a super fun story to write. Uh, for Patrick Harrison's story, they're always watching. Mm. Is what it was. Okay, they're always watching, and that one, he went somewhere with that story that I was not expecting at all, and it was just spot on. So it was fun. 
Um, as far as American Cannibal goes, Re Rebecca, I don't know if you know this or not, but you were actually my very first official anthology invite ever. Really? That that I surprises me. That surprises I didn't know that. me. Well, that was actually like my very first year, like really out as an author. And that was the first convention I ever went to. So that was kind of like the first, my first introduction to the industry as a whole, where people were kind of like, oh, you're you, and you're the one who did the Baker's Dozen and this and that. And you were actually my first anthology invite. So thank you for that. <laughs> we're so cool about it, too. You were like, yeah. <laughs> and so I would have never guessed that. Because I, I was like, oh, is she is she going to say yes now? And then later on, she's going to email me and be like, nah. No, on the inside, I was super excited. And when we walked away, because my mom was with me, when we walked away, I was like, she just invited me. She, she was like, I know. I was there. Candace has a inside, really... I was screaming, but I was just like, yeah, sure. Let's play this like I know what you're talking about. And I do this all the time. <laughs> Candace and Brennan have a really good poker face. Um, I don't, it's annoying at times because I'll tell them something where I think they're going to get super excited. And then through text, they're just like, okay, like, hmm. <laughs> I mean, we do that to mess with you, Patrick. It's true. <laughs> it's fun. You shouldn't share this shit out loud because there are people that listen that I talk to that will then do that. And I will think funny. I'm the only one that's excited about shit. <laughs> But it's funny for us because we know exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> anyway, back to Rebecca yes. and my earlier question that we got to ask Jen. With your white trash and recycled nightmares, which is absolutely incredible, by the way, as you already know my thoughts on the whole collection. Um, your range in this one is astounding. And I think that is the most appropriate word I can use because I don't know if you meant for this to have a particular theme or not, um, but I think the purpose of it is to really show everyone what exactly you're capable of. And by the time you get to the end of it, you've pretty much proven there's nothing you're not capable of. Like, this is an incredible range of just themes and topics and voice. And with that, do you have a story that was a standout for you that resonated more with you that maybe just means a little bit more than the rest of them within it? And which one is it and why? Oh, um, that's a good question. I There are a few. Um Fear No Drowning, I had written because um, my my writing partner has a degenerative nerve disorder that it's called, um, I always mispronounce it, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, which is what I end up having the kid be diagnosed with in the in the in the story. And and so we've been friends for a very, very long time. And he's undergone gone a number of surgeries because he was unable to walk. It actually affects the ability to move your muscles and um, 
And it's one of these very frustrating diseases, very similar to things like MS, where, um, you know, if you see your body start to just not work anymore and how that is so terrifying. And, um, you know, he and I have talked about it just innumerable times. And so that, so I wrote that story specifically as kind of this, like what does, maybe it'd be easier if it, if we knew that there was something stealing that ability. And in the story it ends up being a siren, right? That's, that's sort of stealing his ability. And so that story meant a lot to me. Um, white trash means a lot to me because it just, I think it has more of me than mm -hmm. any other story I've ever written. And, um, but my favorite in the collection, and it's never anyone's favorite, so, but it's still my, my favorite, is Monsters. And um, the one with the, with the rabbit that actually gets run over by the car. I never include animal death in my stories. It's actually the one thing that I really don't like to read. I love Stephen Graham Jones. I love his stuff. But sometimes, you know, I have to be like, because he throws in a lot of animal snuff. Like that's that's sort of like a motif in his work. And and so it's it's the one drawback. It's sort of the one thing that that keeps me from being obsessive over his work. Otherwise, I love I love what he does. And so I included that animal death because it, it actually happened on my street where, cause I have rabbits that run around my backyard and um, one was hit and there are, there was a group of boys that um, did some pretty awful things with the carcass. And it bothered me so much that I just, I just sat down and it was one of the few stories where I just sat down and I wrote it just yeah. like getting to end. Um, and it felt good. It felt good to kind of get it down and, and done. And it almost felt like this weird, not that I needed therapy for a, a wild rabbit being hit on my street, but I, I just felt it, it felt cathartic and it felt good to kind of get my frustrations out in, in the story. And so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I want to wrap Jen back in here um, and kind of a, a question that goes to both of you, but we'll start with Jen. So you mentioned earlier that when you were taking on uh, a short story collection, you basically treated it as a bunch of very short books. And I wonder if you could expand on that, but how do you approach short story collections versus, um, versus, you know, a full length novel? Um, and Rebecca, after that, I'd love to hear kind of how you went about choosing a narrator for a story collection, because with that diversity of stories, it's not an easy task. Uh, Jen, go ahead. Um, well, I think that I, I literally, I mean, this is my first anthology, so let me be clear. Um, but I would just go take each story as its own little um, cake, right? So you and prep it like I would normally prep an entire novel, literally the same way, except that the story is the novel. So find the characters, find the themes. Uh, what is the author saying about the character? What are the characters saying about each other? Um, what are the most important things? And what are the things that are leading you to the most important things? Because everything can't be important or nothing is. Um, 
And how are these people relating to each other? And how does that color how the story plays out and how the magic or horror happens or why? Um, so I would do, do that it, for each one. So it was indeed like narrating 20 small books. Luckily, they're, you know, 10 pages, 12 pages instead of 350 pages. So uh, that prep is shortened. However, I think as a narrator, it's good to be cognizant of repeating yourself. Um, and while we don't like to do, I'm doing a voice finding voices that aren't repeated for the audience for the listener is helpful it's helpful but you can't just choose a voice for the heck of it so it's a little bit of a dance in terms of how is this character how does this character talk what's their physicality but was there a similar character that might confuse the listener in the story beforehand how can i make uh something aqua marine instead of forest green you know um those are subtle things that you try you try to do but most importantly we're trying to tell the story for the author so it's not about me and what i'm doing um i'm trying to do it in the most entertaining and <clears throat> specific way possible but that always comes from rebecca um I think that was it. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Um, I'm, I'm a talker. I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> I have to like stop myself from talking. So once I get started, I'm like a half an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the color thing though. I think that absolutely speaks to what I was, what I was kind of wondering about um, is just the ability to, you know, have a, a certain length recording that has 20 individual books in it. And have them, you know, sound like they're by the same author and the same narrator, but to have each one with its own kind of unique characteristic is is really what, you know, I know I was searching for. So Rebecca, what were you searching for? I mean, I, I just wanted a really good, I mean, I, and anyone will tell you this, any editor will, will tell you, um, your audiobook narrator is going to make or break that audiobook, period. Because if you get someone that isn't, a trained actor, it's it's going to flop. They just don't get it. I mean, I, it, it, there's a huge difference. I don't think people appreciate that there's a huge difference between reading a story out loud and actually inhabiting the character and the narrator and 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 anticipating where things are going to go and, and sort of setting up your your pace so that you are drawing the listener in. It's it's such it's very few people can do it. Um, and so it was really important to me. I always try to pick my battles when I work with publishers because you can't be, when you work, when you're hired by a, when a publisher takes your work, you can't sort of be that diva where you just, you, you demand all of these things, right? You really have to pick your battles. And so the one battle that I wanted to pick was the audiobook. And so, when Dead Sky said, okay, well, this is who we're thinking of for the audiobook narrator. And I said, no, I want Jen Lee. <laughs> I was just immediately, <laughs> no, no. And I knew of Jen's work because um, years ago, I had beta read um, a novel for a friend of mine, and then she ended up narrating it. And I, I read the story, and then when it came out as the audiobook, I listened to it, and I was like, 
she has actually brought this whole new layer to the character. Oh, you're talking about me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, you're talking about. Okay. I okay. didn't know. What, I didn't know what you're talking about. I was like, no, who's no, she again? Right. She you, sounds lovely. You, you Jen Lee. <laughs> yeah. Um, brought a whole new level to the character in Beasts of Viseria County. Oh, that, you're talking about Beasts. Right. And so I, in fact, you were talking I, about Queen of Teeth. Sorry. OK, then I want to talk about Queen of Teeth because I I was like, this is incredible. Like, I was just so blown away because there were aspects of the main character that I didn't get reading it the first time that I got with Jen's rendition. And so whenever and I had already read Haley Piper's Queen of Teeth. And so when I saw it was coming out from the same narrator, I'm like, well, now I got to listen to because I mean, obviously, if I'm going to pick up things from this book, I'm going to see what she's going to bring to this book. And it was so good. Like the peanut butter, like peanut butter, like it was just so good. And so I thought, this is it. Like, this is who I want. And and Dead Sky was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know who she is. Um and so, and they were so like cool about it. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know who she is. But I, they, I think inside they were thinking like, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I was so happy when they were like, yeah, I think we're going to go with Jen Lee. I was like, thank you. Thank you. And then working with Jen. So she's, she's so modest, but she, um, I credit her with this. I actually didn't realize how much of my own, I don't know, baggage I throw into my, my stories until like when when we were talking um you know jen brought up like hey i'm noticing this motif in your work this comes up an awful lot is there like is there something you want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) isn't there and then i really did that i honestly for like days after i thought holy shit like what am i trying to work out with with all of these stories and i think that it even a, a reader might not pick that up, but because she is just so entrenched in mm. that character and in each story that she's picking up things that even even I didn't pick up, you know, being the creator. And so she's just she's so fantastic. She's so and fantastic. Jane, I want to I want to pick up on that. That's super interesting. So you helped uh, Rebecca kind of take a step back from herself to to look within, you know, her self this is terribly worded i need an editor <laughs> um so my question is is there specifically with white trash um was there stories or was there a, like was there a kind of a theme to you going about each story in the sense where maybe when you stepped away or while you're kind of studying it i guess was there anything that you learned about yourself that's actually actually i'm wondering that a uh, question about um, really any book, because that seems really narrow just to say white trash. May- maybe in general throughout your voiceover career, have you had uh, really tremendous um, takeaways where you kind of better yourself as a person from it? Oh, I used to say every book, and now uh, there's a genre that I work in as a, my pseudonym works and where I can say, no, not every book, maybe. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I think every horror book for sure. And and most every book, I think that you learn something about yourself because you have to dig so deep to understand the people 
and the mm-hmm. story. And you can't help but if you're going to act something, you have to look back at yourself and figure out how you can act that, how you can understand it. So you have to look at your own life and maybe not literally like sit there and like, let me look at my own life. But mm-hmm. I think you're constantly having to dig back into yourself, which means that you're just, you have to look back at your own life. I think people um, people are always surprised that I consider my niche a horror niche. Like as a narrator, you don't want to be too nichey, but you know, we all have things that we are maybe better at doing. And I, I always put horror first. That is my first choice. Um, but I don't love all horror. I'm not a splat. I, do, I mean, I did Haley's new splatter Western, but it was Haley Piper. So it's not even <laughs> so to call it a splatter Western is just putting it in a very tiny little box that it it's hardly belongs in because um, it's wild. But I think that looking at all these stories of Rebecca's, um, it really made me look at why I love horror because mm. it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. I don't love all horror movies. I want a ghost story. I want a psychological horror. I want those kinds of things in my movies, and I want to watch those all the time. I don't really want to watch, you know, a slasher or a splatter. But I think that. Because I've had a lot of ups and downs in my life, and I have a lot of struggles that I um, kind of deal with physically on a daily basis, I think I'm thinking about death a lot and what happens after and why and how how can that be? How can you live and think about death a lot? So I feel like horror really examines fear and death and living. And so I think for me to continue to play in horror and love it, that makes me comfortable because so often it's not something people want to discuss on a daily basis. People do not want to talk about death. People do not want to talk about um, physical problems and health problems. And it's just verboten in our society. And I think when you step into horror, you're getting you're getting relief. I don't know how to explain it. You're getting magic and you're getting relief from things you're not supposed to talk about and things you're not supposed to think about and being scared and scary stuff. And for me, that is a comfort in a weird way. So I again, I just talk a lot and I know it's going to be hard to edit because I talk so fast. No, that's fine. And you just make me think that horror kind of makes us feel like kids again because uh you know, it's like the kid thing to do is to be afraid of like everything, but everyone's afraid of a lot. And um, it's just interesting because you were talking about how the cover of magic and, and all other aspects of that. So, uh, Candace, why don't you jump in before I start talking a whole lot more and rambling? <laughs> uh, Brennan had a question, question, actually. Yeah, I'll throw one out and then I'll, I'll come back to you, Candace. Um, I, I will just throw out there, Jen, you know, you had this, you know, what I thought was a great answer. And then you kind of almost started trailing off at the end. Like you thought we were going to judge you, but man, we're horror people. No, <laughs> we, we know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I love it so, so, so much, so much. And, you know, 
yeah, when I hear it narrated, maybe not so great. That makes me really mad. I understand. Um, Rebecca, I wanted to kind of save this question toward for toward the end of uh, White Trash and Recycled Nightmares because I, I, I had a favorite story in here and I kept waiting for somebody else to mention it and nobody did. Um, and it is, it's all fun and games until. Um, so what I wanted to kind of ask you is from early readers, early reviewers, anything like that, are there any stories in here that uh, people really, really kind of attached to that surprised you? Uh, Trip Trap actually is one of them um, because it's my only, and it's not even that that comedic, but I think it's my only sort of tongue-in-cheek, um, you know, comedy horror. Um, and I, I mean, I loved writing it and it was fun to write and, but I never thought that other people would like it. Oh, it's, you're so good at dialogue. You know, you <laughs> could, I don't necessarily want you to stop writing horror, but if you wanted to write like a rom-com or something, oh, you God. absolutely could. <laughs> you just made her puke with her expression. No, <laughs> in a good way, like a good one. Like you could start a whole new genre, like horror rom-com. I was going to say, great. and then they, they kill each other in the end. Like yes, that. it would be <laughs> awesome. It would be a cozy horror. Anyway, go ahead. Play it on the Hallmark channel. It would be hilarious. <laughs> um, that and New and Perfect. I've been really surprised how many people um, responded to that one. It, that one was published originally in After the Kool-Aid is Gone, which was a political horror anthology that came out, I want to say, five years ago, four years ago. And um, it's, it was really hard to write. And, and I almost didn't put it in the collection when I when I was sending it out um, for consideration. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad it, it speaks to people. It's, it's a hard story, I think, to read. It was a hard story to write. And um, so those two, I'm always surprised, but I'm really glad to hear that you liked It's All Fun and Games. That's my, um, my Long Island serial killer. Um, oh, story is it, is where, where it was actually inspired by that. Yeah, that that serial killer that just got caught. I forget his name. Yeah, that guy's yeah. a psycho. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he would he'd just gone on. I mean, no one caught him for so many years, and I ended up watching this this like multi part documentary on. It started on the the on him on Link. I think they were calling him or some Lisk. Um, and but then it sort of expanded and and talked about how there were very similar murders throughout the United States, but not attributed to the same person. They were looking at who are the most vulnerable people in society, and I just thought it was really really interesting how all of these and they're mostly women that are 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 being um, taken advantage of and targeted and murdered and then no one's really looking at it and why is that and why are these killers getting away with it and is it because um, of you know who the victims are or is it because um, maybe the killer isn't someone that we suspect mm. yeah I thought there was some fantastic mis use of misdirection in there she's really good at thank that you. shit man <laughs> thank you <laughs> um does anyone else? I don't want to jump in, but I had a question for Jen. Uh, and it's kind of about you too, Candace. Uh, so, Jen, I, I don't know how long you've been doing the uh, doing voiceovers, but I am wondering uh, as far as and it could be just in horror. 
But um, you know, we've talked. I don't even know how many times this this comes up a lot. Uh, not just on the show, but how we're at a point now where you know, due to social media too, especially that things are opening up. Um, it you know, it's primarily straight white dudes that wrote stuff, but now the market's being at least in horror, I can't speak for other genres. It seems like it's it's finally having an even it's it's aimed towards an even playing field. We're not there yet, obviously, but I would like to hear from you what how you feel about like Rebecca or Candace, how they are coming up with just incredible truly incredible work, a very good and diverse uh range of stories, and um what it feels like to be in the industry while you're working with all these people. You talked about Haley Piper. I mean, she's, she's renowned as just for all the great stuff that she writes. She's an excellent writer. And, um, you got to voice over uh, fair to say one of her fan favorites of, uh, of her book. So how do you feel about all this? Um, well, I'm happy about it as a woman and as a, you know, human being i'm happy about anything like that um i don't you know i honestly (laughs) i love my writers i'm obsessed with my writers i love them so much i feel like they've given me this little gift and and it's so special and, and it sounds goofy but it's true but the first horror book i did was for doug which was beasts of fazaria county and um what's his last name Ford. Oh, Doug. Okay. Douglas Ford. Gotcha. And I felt like that book was written for me. So I guess you could say, unless I, there's something about Douglas that I don't know. Um, he maybe falls into that old fashioned white guy category of I'm a writer and this is what writers look like. Um, but I don't really think about that too much. I don't, I don't think about, um, Haley being a queer writer or Rebecca being a woman or Doug being a white guy, unless there's something in the book that I just find particularly striking um, in a good or bad way that's based around that theme. But I, it just doesn't occur to me to think about that because I'm so in their work. uh, I have to step inside of it. So that's really what I'm concentrating on. Um, and I guess that's that's it. Um, I guess I just view them as people, and I want to do work that is reflecting the change that needs to happen in this world. Um, but for me, it always comes down to just literally the piece that I'm working on at the moment. Is that a bad answer? No, I think it's beautiful, <laughs> because basically what I hear, and then... Um, Rebecca, then Candace, then Brennan, jump in uh, if you want. Um, basically, what I'm hearing is that you your your main goal is whatever story you're working on, and that unless it's uh, overly, because there are writers that just whatever their background, they are very much so like feel this way, do this. This is how I feel. This is who I am. Like it's it's that's irritating. Whatever the subject may be, it doesn't feel natural. So that that's how I took what you said. Um, Rebecca, do you want to jump in at all? No, I mean, what I heard is is something that I agree with. And that is, I think that horror in particular is finally catching up to what the world looks like. Um, and and no offense to the 
to the, you know, two men in, in the room right now. But I mean, it's not One, just men. Right in. <laughs> I'm a little. Don't boy. assume. Don't assume. Recom- <laughs> I'm sorry. God. I assume. Main sorry. child over here. Um, it, it, it's not just white men that get scared. You know, it's everyone gets scared. And so I think that even 10 years ago, uh, people might have, you know, looked at, um, you know, something written by a woman or something written by um, a, a, a queer writer or whatever and said like, oh, this is going to, you know, it's, this is going to read differently. This is no, no, we're all writing about what is scary. And um, I, I think that that's nice finally, that horror is more inclusive. And I, I mean, again, I don't read a whole lot of other genres, so I have no idea what's going on in, say, like, the romance. I have no... If you put a gun to my head, I'd be like, I cannot name one romance writer, so please don't ask me. I know I know you can. I know you can. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know what goes on in there. I only know what goes on in sort of dark fiction. And I think that finally... Um, it's actually one of the reasons why I like horror is that I feel like it's just we're we just recognize that um, we're all people and we all share these commonalities and it has nothing to do with with gender or race or class or sexuality or anything like that. Um, so I think that it's finally representative of the world. We still we have we haven't gotten to perfection yet, but I think that we're a lot more advanced than some of the other genres. That's yeah. I mean, I heard that from a lot of people that are that are in a lot multiple genres and areas of the book world. So definitely tracks. Um, Candice. You're muted. Yeah. I looked up and saw that she was drinking. I didn't know when I asked her. I gotta stop doing that shit. I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, I don't really know what you're as- asking right now, other than um, what? How, how do we feel about the massive amount of diversity and inclusion that is exploding in the horror field right now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think long overdue long overdue but it has been slowly increasing the last 20 years or so but I think over the last maybe five or six years it has sort of exploded where the world is beginning to take note that oh look at all of this and you have Every race, every culture, every gender, every identity, every voice now is being recognized in the horror world as valid voices of, I don't want to say horror, but valid voices of experiences that deserve to be heard. I may be in the horror field, industry, whatever, but I don't look at it as just that niche. I look at it as I'm writing about life experiences because to me, that's what it is. Horror encompasses the absolute range of what life is because you can't write a horror story 
without adding in absolutely every single aspect of life. And that is everything from creation to love and heartbreak and loss and grief and assault and trauma and PTSD and war. It encompasses every human experience and emotion because that's where you get to the heart of the horror and how that impacts the person that the story or the situation is happening to. All of those experiences that have made up their life is what drives them through the horror of the story. That's their motivation for either becoming the monster they are or uh, surviving whatever they went through. It's all of that, but it's all about life and what drives them to get through it. And right now, the fact that there are so many diverse voices in it right now is absolutely amazing because anyone at any time can pick up a horror sto story or an anthology or a collection and see themselves represented in it. Maybe not their race or their culture at all times, but they can they can see their experiences represented in it in ways now that didn't exist 20 years ago. You have all of these different um the different experiences of life that are represented in it now where it's not just the old straight white male and here's the young woman being sexually assaulted and now she's going to run through the woods and she's going to trip down and she's going to die and it's the same thing over and over and over and over now you have an entire range of experiences that take place everywhere at any time in any location to anyone and it's all there i think it's great could have ended with you running go <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, you know, you you just said, I don't understand what you're asking and then delivered an A-plus dissertation on the topic. That was, uh, you ought to buy a mic so you could drop it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I would just say I don't think I have anything to add to the conversation. So I would just underline and, you know, hit it with a highlighter that it's definitely making a big step toward reflecting the world we live in and just the idea that fear is a human emotion. And the best stories treated as such. Yeah. Um, got a comment from Vivian Casley. Uh, Casley. A while back, before I knew hardly anyone in the writing world, and before I had much published, Rebecca gave me a rejection for the half that you see. That is, <laughs> I think, a short story. In it, she told me that I was gift, uh, a gifted writer. Whenever I feel down, that rejection keeps me going. Thank you, Rebecca heart emoji that that okay <laughs> oh i thought that it was means... gonna be bad right oh, no, i was no, like no, oh no no no, shit. no we don't read those what's those happening are not right now on the show and it's funny because i've read vivian stuff since then because she pops up everywhere she is everywhere and i remember that story um and Honestly, it would have been right in that anthology. It just, it, it just didn't. I had another story that was too similar to hers. And that was the only reason I didn't take her work. She's a fantastic writer. It's fantastic. But to hear her that she um, remembers that really means a lot to me. I, I, it's one thing that I am, that I always try to do as an editor is I always, always 
always try to be a writer in the editor's seat because I know, and I'm sure all of us here can say that we've dealt with an editor or a press owner or something who has been um, not empathetic and, um, and, and we've walked away from them thinking, holy shit, am I even in the right industry anymore? And, um, that's terrible. That's terrible. And especially when you have writers that are, are so gifted, um, just, I guess my, I don't know where I'm going with this except to say, thank you for telling me that. Thank no, you. That, for that's that. just one more note on Vivian. That That's awesome. Um, and you brought up a good thing. Rejections don't mean it's a bad story or, or not written well. Um, that right. I, I just, I, I think that's an awesome point uh, with, with my first anthology that I edited her story. It, it made all the right things and it was great. There were other stories that were awesome. And I was like, okay, well I don't have the money because I'm not the publisher. So I have to, I can only choose so many people. I get it. Um, but yeah, she she's coming out with a a new book next year too. So keep out your eyes for that. Uh, which is a good threshold for this question from Candace. Before we wrap up, Rebecca, you have something new in the works, don't you, my dear? I do. So in January, um, there's a mini collection coming out. Um, Michael Aloisi and I are releasing, it's a mini collection. Um, it's called What Hath Women Wrought? And it's the story of five monstrous women. Um, they're all monsters in some way, literal in most cases. Um, and we are 100% of the proceeds go to Children of the Night. And Children of the Night is an organization that specifically helps um, young people who have been trafficked and uh, helps them kind of integrate um, back into society, helps them with um, just everything um, to get them out um, of that terrible, terrible situation and and back, um, you know, back in, into a happy place. And, and so both Michael and I work with teenagers during the day in, a, in an urban school. And so trafficking is a real concern. Um, and it's something that we feel very strongly about supporting our organizations like this. So take a look uh, for it in January. Like I said, 100% of the proceeds go to Children of the Night. It'll be on Godless exclusively for the entire month of January. And then it'll be out in print everywhere else from February on. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. You're very welcome. That's exciting. And that's a really important cause. So thank you. Yeah. That Patrick. You said that was children, children of the night, right? Children mm -hmm. of the night. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so definitely echo what Candace says. Uh that's that's beautiful. Children of the night. Um what are you currently reading, Rebecca? Oh, so I am reading I'm reading three things right now. Um, one is Clay McLeod Chap Chaplin's um, What Kind of Mother? Because I love everything he writes. It's it's more of like, this is, I, I I got a copy from him. He signed it and everything. And I sort of like kept it. It's like my dessert. Like I was, I was just waiting <laughs> to be able to start it. And so I started that. And then I'm um, 
reading two other books from authors that I uh, I absolutely love everything they do for reviews. Um, one is V. Castro's Aliens Vasquez, mm. which is, I'm about a third of the way through. It's, if you are an Aliens fan um, of, of that entire universe, you will just, it's so geek-tastic because she just pulls in so many things from um from from the movie series and then i also have um gwendolyn kais the haunting of Bel- oh my god now i'm going to say the title wrong haunting of velkwood um going i just started as well and that's for a review so i'm juggling those three things but i have if you saw my to to be red pile it is insane it's it's actually it's outgrown my bookshelf it's um, just from pulling things from from conventions this year, I, you know what? If if knock on wood, I never want to go back to our our pandemic again. But if I ever have to be isolated for a year, that's going to be the silver lining. <laughs> if I actually, I can tack, tackle that. So yes, yes. I, I went. I've only been to one convention, and I spent way too much money. On all the books. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. Jen, what are you currently reading? What am I reading? I'm not great at reading just one thing. Um, I'm, I am I was reading Frankenstein during Halloween because why wouldn't you? It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and I'm also getting through Ghoul, um, which is my book club. I'm in a speculative book club because I just don't can't can't find anything to read so they picked ghoul so i'm getting through that um and let's see the things that i'm actually i listen i don't read because i can't read uh, i can't stay cognizant long enough to read but i'm reading i started the wishing pool which is an anthology and frankenstein oh holly i'm getting through holly because i'm a, a big big stephen king person and i was how, how is that and it's it's the holly gibney spinoff right it's from um yes how is it's it just... so far because i have it like i have it on my on my shelf it's but... fine it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i'm such a oh i'm such a stephen king like nut and holly gibney too so i'm i'm um reserving my judgment i don't know not I'm not super excited, but that could just be me. I don't want to say anything bad about it because it's you know, um, but yeah, it's not super scary. You know, it's definitely got yeah. more, those more not scary vibe Stephen King vibes, which is fine. But um, and there was one more thing. Oh, oh, I'm getting through All Hollows, All Hollows. And I'd like to start Pinata. What's Pinata? Pinata is, I haven't started yet, but it's by Leopoldo Gout. Hmm. Um, It says a head full of ghosts meets Mexican Gothic. Hmm. Um, And it's supposed to be supposed to be pretty amazing. Hmm. I don't think I've heard of that one. That's interesting. I think it's Nightfire. Oh, is it? I think so. Oh, okay. It's about, uh, it says, inspired by the true horrific history of how Spanish conquistadors used pinatas to force Aztec children to break their gods. The fuck? Oh, my. Anyway. 
so yeah, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a cherry picker. There you go. Because I'm I always am also then reading my own stuff. So I'm starting a new YA horror series. So I'm also starting all those. So I'm excited about that. Oh, so now's a good time to plug your work. <laughs> yes, I am starting um, a new, like I said, YA horror series with Christian Irwin. And it's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of very sweet YA horror vibe novellas about um, Spite Lane, where all these poor kids live. So I'm excited because I don't usually do YA and it's horror and it's just so old school, wonderful. And yet all the characters at this point are really, she's really making an effort to be modern with these stories, which I appreciate uh, very, very early on. So it's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Candice, what are you currently reading? I am still working my way through this novel by Christopher Michael Blake, Crave Podon. About halfway through that now, which is fantastic. Um, aside from that, I'm not reading anything else right now because I'm still working my way through the last part of the anthology coming out. And hopefully tomorrow I'll be reading a foreword that someone's supposed to be writing for that anthology. So we'll see how that goes. Um, well, that, that is already oh, written. I'm just oh, nervous as oh, okay. fuck to give it to you. <laughs> so right now my time is heavily taken up by finishing the editing for the antho but hopefully by the end of this week i'll be through with this one and i can start a couple other ones that are waiting over here on my list nice well shots fired um brennan i i do like seeing her take you to task live on air it's <sighs> it never gets old it really does and i won't cut it out either because it's funny <clears throat> nope. and i should just put a claw nose on my face on the logo so get it all over with um, I am reading. That's a joke, the, by the way, guys. I'm joking. Wasn't very good. That's why nobody laughed. I am um, <laughs> reading the Dead Pennies by uh, Bob Ford. Um, we for we have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk to some cemetery dance people, including him and Kevin Lucia and uh, John Bowden. So I read John Bowden's Snarl. It is if you like John Bowden, you will love this book. It might be his best, and that's you know no small feat. Um, I'm reading, uh, so Robert Ford's The Dead Pennies. It's about uh, oversimplification, but it's about a haunted school, and I am absolutely there for that. And I am reading Kevin Lucia's um, Haunting at Pleasant Brook, I think it's called, mm -hmm. um, which horror. is Pleasant. horror at Pleasant Brook. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's about a creepy small town, which I am also absolutely here for. I think you need to just send me a list of the books that I should be reading because you sound like you like to read exactly what I like to read. Tanana Reeves do Tanana Reeve do's the reformatory. You'd love it. Oh my god, yes. Well, I yeah. just that I'm reading that I was going to start the anthology, which I said, which was the first thing I said. But I do have I do have the reformatory on my TBR list. There you so go. There, bump it yeah. up. <laughs> um, Patrick, so go ahead. I just started recently Nat Cassidy's The Nestlings. Um, I I just started, so I, I can't really go into detail about it, but uh, that's my answer. My answer is short and sweet. Um, Rebecca, where, where can people follow you? 
Um, I'm at, and I just want to give you a heads up. I just got a low battery on my laptop and I am so far away from a plug right now. So if oh, I disappear, it's not like my weird Irish goodbye. I'm just sort of like, <laughs> I'm looking. Um, so, uh, best place to find me is on my website is it's just rollinbooks.com. Um, I creep around Instagram, um, which is at Rebecca underscore Roland underscore books. Um, I'm on Facebook, but not very often, maybe like once every two weeks. Um, and I, yeah, so, but uh, the audiobook comes out November 28th, 28th, <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, I'm like, is it 28th? And I think it's the 28th. So, but it's up for pre-order now. So if you want to secure that, it's up now in Audible. Excellent. Um, it's the perfect can... Thanksgiving read. Absolutely. Yeah. Or listen. <laughs> where where can people follow you there, Jen? Oh, uh, I am Jen Lee Reads on all the things, the TikTok and the Instagram and the Facebook. I have a narrator page as well as my private page um, and my website. If people are interested in work inquiries, is uh, you can find from those things. But you can also just go to www.jenleeandrews. There's another name at the end of it, Jen Lee Andrews. Dot com, and that's a good way to hear other stuff that I've done. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm an Instagram gal, so that's my thing. I love it, and I'm on TikTok a little bit, but that's just dumb. I like how you said Andrews. 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 Um, um, that's a holdover from my theater days, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's where you can find me mostly. Excellent, Candice. Yeah. Where can, where can people follow you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, um, under either my name or Uncomfortably Dark, which you can also find me on the Uncomfortably Dark website also. Awesome. Brennan? Uh, BrennanLafaro.com has links to anything you could possibly need, I think. And you can follow me on uh, pretty much all the regular social media sites. PR McDonough for most of them, not Instagram. That was hacked. Now it's Pat R. McDonough. Um, final thoughts. Final thoughts. We'll start with Rebecca. Um, thank you, Jen. Thank you for doing this. I I I I have not heard um the audiobook yet. It's not, <laughs> not, not shared with me. Um, oh, Jesus so, Christ. So it's going to be just as it's going to be a, a delightful treat to be able to hear it. I thank, just thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. So. Oh, Jen. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it is terrifying to know that you haven't heard it yet, but I do know <laughs> that you've heard a good amount of my horror narration from me. Yeah. So I feel like, well, it's not like I went off the rails or anything like that. So you kind of know what I'm going to serve. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I love, I love horror and I'm so happy to work for horror authors and I just want everyone to keep doing what they're doing. So there's a few things for me to slip under the rug and, and do too. Um, you know, we, you always hope when you work for a great author like Rebecca, that you're just going to become like one of their little passel of narrators that they think about and uh i i hope that is the case after she hears it <laughs> yikes 
Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for writing horror. I think it matters. Uh, that's all. Oh. Candice? Um, not much. Just thank you to Jen and Rebecca for your time here today and um, everything that you write, Re Rebecca, because you are pretty much one of my newer inspirations over the last year or two. So, yeah, um, just continue everything it is that you do. And thank you for spending your Saturday morning with us. Brennan. Um, Rebecca, awesome to chat with you again. And Jen, excellent to meet you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys could come hang out on a Saturday morning. And actually, I really loved Jen's sign off line. So I'm going to borrow it and just say thank you for writing horror. That's a cool sign off line. Oh, um, great. Now you're just going to say that all the time. We'll license uh, it. It'll, we'll work something out. I won't. Brandon you will. just you have to <laughs> you have to work if you're going to use that as your tagline. You have to at, in everything say just mention that I'm a, a narrator, a horror narrator. You don't. You can just say that tagline, but just somehow work into the conversation in every podcast. Now, as narrator Jen Lee, as Nair Jen says. said one time, yeah. <laughs> 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 my final thoughts are thank you rebecca for being here and jen thank you as well um yeah you inspire me too there rebecca as an editor um you and candace are two people that i greatly look towards reading stuff from and um just keep doing what you're doing and jen i can't wait to hear your your rendition of uh rebecca's book seriously i i i'm in i'm big into audiobooks so i'm very much looking towards that um I'm glad. Next, Thank you. Absolutely. Next episode is with Elena Urquhart. She is one of the co-hosts of Morbid. She also wrote a book called The Butcher and the Wren. So we will we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes and can't wait. She's got a great true crime podcast and uh, as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.